Today's episode of the Sixers Beat is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to sixersbeat.robinhood.com. Once again, that's sixersbeat.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. Once again, that's rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield, APY, on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined this week by Mike O'Connor on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Mike? Hanging in there, man. It has been a a rough week, not only for me, but the whole basketball community, the whole NBA community. Uh, it still just feels weird. It just feels weird to be talking about normal basketball, but that is what we're going to do. Yeah, it, it really does. And the more pieces that come out, like I'm, I said this on the last pod, but I don't have like a whole wealth of interactions with Kobe. I might only have that one game actually. So I don't have these great stories. I still view him mostly from a fan's perspective and just consuming all of the stuff that has been written about him and all the people who have shared their stories with him. It's almost become tougher as the week has gone on. But, uh, like you said, we do have a, a basketball team to talk about, a basketball team which has a little bit of controversy around it and also has a really big trade deadline coming up here in a couple of days. So we will we will move on to those topics. I guess we'll start off, because we don't have you on every week, it's always good to sort of get your temperature on a bunch of you know high-level topics about the team. So I guess we'll start off with sort of like the trade deadline since that is most immediate. And I think a lot of people right now question whether or not the starting lineup is tenable in terms of a championship contender. We'll start off with sort of like a two-part question. First of all, do you think they need to make a trade which changes up the starting lineup? And the second one, do you think they will do that in the next week here? Do I think they need to? No. But that's mostly because I don't believe that they're going to be championship favorites regardless. And I think that... Well, let me, I mean, I guess let me back you up because I think there's one that people will ask about. the if, if somehow they found a way to do Horford for Chris Paul, do you think that makes them championship quality? And assume that no other rotation piece is included in that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so tempted to do that. Like, I, I think for every basketball reason, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, literally the only thing you can say that you would rather have Horford for... Uh, instead of Chris Paul is is just in a Milwaukee series to have another Giannis defender, but it's like if everything else in the in just the basketball sense is better, then you know isn't that trade worth it? But 
there's just some stuff that I, I would really worry about between a the the chemistry in that you're taking this group that you know seems to get along reasonably well and you're absolutely blowing it up bringing in um, who has been traditionally a somewhat difficult personality in Chris Paul. <laughs> That's that's and, a fair characterization, yeah. Yeah, and and you're you're removing like an all-time good guy in Al Horford, and you have to worry about how all of this would affect Ben. In that, it's no secret that Ben wants to be a point guard, and you are taking the all-time dribble the air out of the ball and direct traffic point guard and putting him next to Ben, and you just really wonder how he would respond. Would Ben still be amped up enough to play? all world defense every night um how, just how would how would that be and it is it is different playing off ball as a role man for five to ten minutes a game next to trey burke or howell netto than it is playing the entire game next to chris paul and he would be playing the entire game off ball that is for sure right and just think of the mental side of of how ben would process that like Wow, you guys really felt the need to bring in like the all-time the 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 point god because I I'm that incapable of playing point guard. I I just don't think I can't imagine a world where he would take that extremely well. Um, so you add it all up, and I just think I I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it in in the in this part of the season. I would ride it out um, with this group and. I think a trade like that would still be somewhat possible in the summer. I, I don't know. I, everybody is, is freaking out about this Horford contract. I just always view it as like the NBA is so insane and there's so much movement and there's so much bad money that there's always going to be a chance to say, hey, I'll trade my bad money for your bad money. Whether, you know, this summer, like like the absolute worst case scenario this summer would be like if they're like, all right, let's just trade for Kevin Love. I mean, he makes more sense than than Horford. Uh, with this starting five, so I, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm just saying, like everybody, everybody's like, we got to get out of this Horford contract asap. And and my point is just, there's so much bad money in the NBA, and there are so many ways to get out from under that stuff. I'm not as panicked about it long term. Okay, so going back to what you were about to talk about before I interjected, uh, which was, you don't think there's a trade to be made at this deadline. To break up the starting five. I don't believe so. I don't believe so. I I, I think that, you know, I, I don't know this, but I would guess that the Sixers are sensitive to the fact that they have blown it up quite a bit over the last 15 months. They There have been some, some blockbuster trades at every turn. And, you know, it, let, let's say they were to blow it up and they were to trade Horford for Chris Paul or some some similar trade like that. If you have like a disappointing exit this year, you might look at this long term and say, okay, we're at serious risk of never establishing any continuity around Simmons and Embiid before we like legitimately blow them up. And there would be serious risk of looking back at the process Sixers and saying, well, who were the process Sixers? Was it? Was it the first team? Was it the second team? Was it the third team? Was it the fourth team? There was no continuity. And I would just have to guess that the team is a little bit sensitive to that. Yeah, it's also tough because you don't want to commit to 
mismatched pieces just because you want to commit to. Like, I, I don't really believe in this starting five right now. I wrote recently that I think they sort of have to be star hunting still, which I think is sort of precludes them from breaking up the starting five now because I don't see anyone who is that obvious fit, especially as it seems like the Pelicans are sort of withdrawing Drew Holiday, maybe not officially from the trade market, but like it would take a real godfather offer to get him. I'm not sure I see anyone who would be like, well, that's a third star you need to go out and and get. So I think it's more like you need to be wise with your assets because you don't have that many left and be more opportunistic, opportunistic. Whereas I feel like a trade right now to break that up would be more like, we feel like we have to react to the moment and you end up overpaying when you do that. And I just, I just don't see a fit worth overpaying for on this market. So I agree with you a little less than, for the continuity reasons, because I think right now I just don't believe the way I want to believe, but I do think that you can't splurge another asset just to make a move and shuffle the deck, which is more what I feel. I feel like right now a move would be shuffling the deck. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. That's a, that's a good point. Um, and it's, it's, I can't believe we're still sitting here talking about like, they've got so much, they've invested so many resources Tobias acquiring him, then paying him Horford, using their one real cap space opportunity with cap space on Horford. And we're sitting here like he doesn't, he doesn't fit Jimmy trades. Like there's just, they've used and Josh, like Josh is great. I love his fit, but in 15, 16 months, he's either going to walk because you can't afford the luxury tax bill because you had to have Al Horford or he's going to get overpaid. Yeah. And like, it's, it's, you're going to end up, they're in this spot where they're extremely top heavy, but they're like they're paying. They're gonna end up paying five players like all stars, and only two of them really produce like it. It's uh, it's not not perfect, not perfect. I my, it, I said this on a, a recent podcast. My biggest fear is always going to be that they never found that right third piece to put alongside Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And like you sort of alluded to earlier, they then came to a conclusion that they had to break up the Embiid Simmons pairing because they never complimented them with the third star that they needed to. And they invested so many resources from the Markel Fultz trade to, you know, the Tobias Harris trade, the Jimmy trade, the um, Tobias contract, the Al Horford contract. Like they invested a lot and to have this much uncertainty. It is, it is a little disconcerting. Yeah. Well, but hanging over this whole conversation is (laughs) just the idea of how much do you believe in the, in the team this year? Because, you know, it's if you watch every game like you and I do, it is really ugly and it's hard to believe in this sort of stuff. But in all seriousness, like we're paid to watch the game, so we have to don't watch the road games. If you're listening to this podcast, do not it. watch the road games. Your life would be so much nicer. So much. Nicer. Yes. I feel like every time we should just never have a podcast after road games, because I feel like that's when the panic comes out. Because you look at this team at home and they just like they clobber good team after good team after good team. And that's sort of like when you ask how much do you believe in this team? A lot of that comes down to, well, are we talking offensive or defensively? Are we talking about the engaged team that's really buying in and playing hard defensively and, and, and using their link to suffocate people and get out in transition? And, and, and like, are we talking about that team? That team that can beat Boston and Milwaukee and, I mean, really beat Boston anytime they play them? And the Lakers, are we talking about that team or the team that just didn't care against the Atlanta Hawks? I don't know. And I like to, you know, I recently did a podcast with, Danny LaRue and I heard I heard uh, Danny and Nate Duncan talk about this recently too like they would rather have a team that can reach the highs and sort of loses focus on the lows than a team that can't and, and conceptually I agree with that 
but that assumes that this team is always going to be focused in the playoffs. And I think that's probably the case, but it's tough because they just, they lose focus so many times, which I guess dovetails nicely into our next question. But before we get to that question, a quick word from DraftKings. Can you believe this is the last game of the season? It's been fun-filled, record-setting, and action-packed all the way through. Now there's only one fitting way to end the season, with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe, secure, and reliable betting app. Place your bets for America's biggest game of the year with the American-made DraftKings Sportsbook app. Head to the app right now and check out all they have to offer, including countless prop bets and football squares. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a chance you're an Eagles fan as well. And looking through the list of prop bets, one immediately stood out. A doink kick. Yes, you can bet on whether or not a kick will hit the upright or crossbar. You can also bet on the coin toss, who will commit the first turnover, which team will reach 15 points first, and countless others. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code TOSS. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, that's code TOSS and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only, in partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to that question. A, we'll start off with the road losses. How much do the road losses concern you? I mean, they, they have to. They have to be considered part of the DNA of this team because I, I am of the belief that when you have a team that checks out mentally as regularly as the Sixers do, it matters. It has to matter to some extent, whether that's, you know, we saw it with Boston last year. Um I, I mean, the, the the positive example of it would be, you know, LeBron's Cavs, how they were just unbelievably disengaged. And, uh, you know, they, they figured it out every year, but it was difficult. It was really, really difficult for them. And, um, you know, I, I, in terms of like how much stock do we put in all of them? You know, I, I think that I think that there are reasons for the that, you know, within the construction of this team that we see losses like the Atlanta loss. You know, it's this Sixers team is not a team that can that can just like blow by bad teams without playing extremely hard because they're not a team that manufactures easy offense. They're not a team that uh, defends well unless they're locked in. You know, I was watching the Atlanta game and I just thought about how, you know, it's 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 really hard to guard a guy like Trey Young with someone like Matisse or Ben, who is like really anyone that's over like six, five, because Trey is just so good and getting into your body and, you know, you know, getting into the lane and sort of baiting you into fouls from behind when you're trying to reach over him. And, you know, I thought they really missed Josh in that game to sort of keep up with him around those screens. And, you know, you combine all of these things. And I just it, it's not like if you just look at the construction of the team and not the mental makeup or anything, it's not impossible to, to see why they have these pathetic losses on the road to bad teams. Uh Look, man, at the end of the day, I th- I worry that we're going to put too much stock in all of these games and then they're going to get to the playoffs and we're going to see them, you know, have a competitive series against Milwaukee and realize, oh, none of, none of this mattered. We spent too much time looking at the day to day and not zooming out 
in the big picture. And, you know, that, that's something that I, I wrote recently. And I, I just, I really felt like it, it summed up how I'm feeling about the team where the more you zoom in on this team, the more you look at every game and everything that happens and every little problem, the more this season looks like a catastrophe. But the more you zoom out, it looks pretty much fine. I mean, they're going to win 53 games and they have a really easy schedule and they beat all these top tier teams. Look, it's impossible to tell, but I, I just still would would lean towards the latter. I, I think they're going to be pretty much OK. Yeah, I agree in some respects, disagree in others. I do think the Simmons and Bead Horford is like I'm much more concerned about that than I was at the beginning of the season. I think the lack of a shot creator is a concern I had, which I still am worried about. I think I do think a lot of the sort of panic about this team is based on that scale. Like we bought into and were sold and were told that this is a championship contender. And at times they just don't look like it. So could they, I mean, they really are a team where they could get, to lose in the first round or get to game seven in the conference finals, and you would look at it and both go, yeah, that that's an, an outcome that makes sense. It makes probably too much sense for what we were expected. And that's scary, but I don't think that upside is gone. Like I could I could see them playing Milwaukee really tough in a in a seven game series, even though Milwaukee is blowing through everyone right now. I could see them causing them fits. Like they're just a uniquely constructed team that defensively can smother people. And I do think that defensive upside is still very much there. The offense, I think I'm a little more concerned of than I was coming into the season though. And if I'm, if I get concerned about the team, it's, it's mostly on that end. I just don't, I don't know. And, and like you said, like part of it is that they have very small um, margin for error. And when the, the effort just isn't there, which at times it hasn't been, it can look, really ugly and it i don't know it, it's 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 on on the one hand like i do believe habits are something that happen over time and it's consistently looking at the right things and being locked in and for a team that just doesn't show that that makes me concerned on the other hand like they played like dog shit in the last two months of the season last year and turned on the playoffs and, and played pretty well against the World Championship Toronto Raptors. Maybe they can just turn it on. I, I truthfully don't know, but it's. Uh, I understand why people are concerned. Yeah, no, I. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. I mean, like, it's you, you never want like you never want to just like throw your hands up in the air. But like, it is insane. Like, obviously, you and I watch every game like multiple times, and we're still sitting here like, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean. Look, I think anybody that has like a super hot take about this team is just being dishonest. Like it, this team just bends the basketball part of my brain into a pretzel. I, like, <laughs> yeah. It's but good. They are just good ridiculously hard to understand. I mean, and, it, it, I do, I do believe the upside is still there. Like, I don't think that's a mirage. I just don't know the probability they can do that seven, you know, four out of seven games in a series. I don't know. Yeah, I, you know, I, I just, I just would tend, like I was saying earlier. Because the big picture isn't so ugly and like they're basically on track with what I expected them to be, you know, coming into the season. And because that is sort of consistent with what I thought, I'm not going to budge so much from what I originally thought. I still think they're going to make the conference finals, have a competitive series against Milwaukee and lose. That's that's what I expect. 
I do think that they need an injection of a few things at the trade deadline. Wrote about it uh, maybe a week or so ago. And I just feel like they need a guy who in some way or another can just create easy and quick offense. Just add some pace to the way this team plays. Ironically enough, I feel like Shake Milton has given that to them. Just the ability to hit like quick release threes and attack closeouts. It's like, oh my God, where have you been this whole season? (laughs) It's like something I wrote about in my piece that published yesterday was like a lot of these plays where Shake catches the ball and either rises up for a three or attacks a closeout. Like if James Ennis catches that ball, that's that's not happening. That's just a possession reset. If Mike Scott catches that ball, he's not beating that closeout. If Matisse Thibel catches that ball, that's not happening. Like they they don't have even Josh Richardson. They don't have guys on this team who are going to take shots in, in tight windows or just attack a straight line drive closeout. And when you don't have that, your offense just can't flow. Like when was the last time you saw the Sixers have like a sequence of like, you know, beat a closeout, drive and kick, another guy beats a closeout, drive and kick, another guy beats a closeout, drive and kick, dump off pass. Like this team has the most abnormal, most sluggish, like everything feels like it happens by design. Everything, nothing is spontaneous. Everything is painful. The gears move so slowly. And I just feel like they need guys. The guy I wrote about was like Malik Beasley, who just moves fast and thinks fast and flies around screens. And every decision is like chaotic. And they, they just need guys like that. Everything is so methodical with this team, whether it's it's Horford or, or Tobias or Josh. They all move so slowly and they just they 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 process information sort of slowly. Um, and I feel like they just like. We talk about how much they miss Reddick and his shooting. I feel like the biggest thing they miss is just a guy that's hard to guard and a guy who's constantly creating chaos. Like, you know, while uh, while Ben is, like, running a pick and roll, there's JJ flying off a pin down at the other end, and, like, that's that's difficult to keep track of. Whereas, like, if you're a defense, like, who are you worried about keeping track of with this team? There's nobody you lose sleep over. Everything moves so slowly, like... You you know exactly what's coming because it unfolds so slowly. So I don't know if we're pivoting to the trade deadline now, but but those are that's exactly what I would be looking for: is guys who just inject quick offense, make quick decisions, and have some sort of threat to create a shot in a pinch. So yeah, and it's 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 tough because I do believe that they are largely strength and weakness wise what we thought. It does feel like I think there's just in terms of starting lineup, and it's a shame. I like every piece of this starting lineup individually. There's just I there's one piece missing, one skill set missing, one one too many big men who want to post up and are slow decision makers, and nothing just like you said, nothing flows naturally, nothing uh, comes easy. So we'll see what they do. Um, I would I would love to say that there is an opportunity to fix that at this deadline. I don't really think there is. So I think it's more finding a bench piece or two that can help, you know, help, help, help strengthen your weaknesses. Whether that is a, it, it seems like Bertans might be off the market. Whether that is somebody like Bogdanovich, somebody like Bielitsa. It's, we'll see. We'll see. It's, and somebody like that who can just shoot from 30 feet too. Just, oh, just yeah. fire away. It would be so nice. It'd be so nice. Absolutely. Let's take a real quick break to talk to you about Calm. We talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side of the game that's just as important. 
I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, and Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. For LeBron James, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. LeBron says that getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind. And if you head to calm.com sixers, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. With Calm, you have access to the nature scenes LeBron loves, like rain and leaves, and so much more, like sleep stories and meditation. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com sixers. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash sixers. Once again, that's calm.com slash sixers. And now back to the show. All right. Uh, let's see. We feel like we sorted the trade deadline a little bit. Let's go to Ben Simmons, who, like you said, has been playing more off ball recently. There's a lot of talk now. You know what? What, what do you average in January? Something like 21 points per game. 22, yeah. 22, 22. and a half. Now you're obviously bringing, you know, Sixers went 6-3 six and three when Joel Embiid was out. Included a couple big wins like Boston and the Lakers. Now that they integrate Joel Embiid back into the offense, can we continue to see this version of Ben Simmons? Definitely not this version all the way, you know, posting 28-point <laughs> triple-doubles and, and that sort of thing. But I... I do think a lot of what he's done with this in this stretch without Embiid is replicable. I mean, a lot of the things they've stumbled on is just, hey, having Ben next to another guard who can run pick and roll with him as a screener really helps, and that really opens things up for him. The problem um, is I'm not sure either of their two guards are really playoff playable. Yes, that is that is also true. But I will say, like, just the simple act of running a screen and roll, getting a drop coverage, and feeding it to Ben on a short roll that just like opens him up. Doesn't matter if I'm throwing him the pass. I mean, like he'll be able to play make, you know, and which is weird. Cause this is something Brett has talked about. He, he talked about this a lot last year and then they largely went away from it. They did. Yeah. It was, um, it was, it was interesting last year. I don't know. I, I feel like part of the reason they didn't do it last year was because you, I mean, their, their main pick and roll guy was Butler and He's the not guy a short who roll kind of guy. Not only that, it's that it's that the guy guarding Butler is always either a team's best or second best wing defender, and the guy guarding Ben is always either the best or second best wing defender. So teams would just switch. You're not getting a drop coverage with with those two guys running it. Whereas, you know, if it's if it's a, a point guard like Neto and you have a, a six foot two guard on him, they don't want to switch him onto Ben, so they're going to play a drop coverage. So that's when you're going to get those short rolls and. I feel like that's opened things up for him. And I, I think that they, they absolutely have to keep doing that. And they have in, so far in the two games, Golden State and Atlanta. Uh, I thought Atlanta, they had a, a couple of really nice pick and rolls there. Uh, but they also have to get Ben going in, as a ball handler in those situations. And that's the part that gets tough, right? Because especially in that Laker game, a lot of those sequences where he was able to run pick and roll and just like, in space, just cooking Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis, they they worked because you have Horford on the floor and he's stretching the floor. He's stretching his man all the way out to the perimeter. Whereas when it's Horford and Embiid, 
Uh, usually Embiid's waiting in that dunker spot, and it's a lot tougher for Ben. Sometimes Horford is also waiting there because he's wandered there and forgotten where he is, and it's like unbelievable why he doesn't space the three-point line, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, yeah, I mean, it, the paint is a lot more crowded, but, you know, as I sort of, when I was looking up, you know, numbers in it for that piece yesterday, and Rich also brought some up in, in his piece, you know, that stretch where everybody's talking about trading Embiid and, and oh my God, Ben, Ben is just running the show. They the had the 29th, the, the 29th yeah. ranked offense. Yep. And despite, you know, all of the, the discussion and some of it's very valid on the season, Ben's numbers with versus without Embiid are pretty much the same. They're not that much different. And, you know, I, I feel like people just forget they look at maybe the the record over the stretch and they forget that like they squeaked by the Knicks they barely beat the Nets a couple of times they had a tough game against the Bulls they they lost some pitiful games to Dallas and Indiana and even Toronto and you know people just forget that this 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 little stretch where Embiid was out was not all sunshine and roses and uh you know but but just to tie it full circle Ben has played very well and I think that the main thing they got to keep going to with him is both sides of the pick and roll as a as a role man and a screener. Yeah, I mean they had a they had a couple of very good bookend wins with Boston and the Lakers. A couple of wow, they really played like shit wins, where they they squeaked by really bad opponents, and a couple of really bad losses too. So I do and and mixed in with that when they won, it was because of their great defense, not their offensive play. And you give. Ben credit because without him, they wouldn't have been competitive in a lot of those games. So it's not like his offense wasn't valuable, but they were not humming on all cylinders as a team during that stretch. And I agree with you. It's, it's much, much more. How do you take what worked there and move that going forward than it is? Hey, maybe you can't build around these two guys. Like in order to get the best version of this team, you're going because you're not going to get equal value in a trade. I mean, it's true in almost any star trade in the NBA. You just don't get equal value. Ben would be unique because he has so much time left on his contract, but like Ben's very much depends on the eye of the beholder. Like it, some players or some teams will value him drastically differently than other teams. And I, I pretty firmly believe that the best version of this team, the one that has the most upside is the one with, with, uh, with Ben and Joel and, and maybe that third star ball handler. So getting rid of him just doesn't like, yeah, Ben's numbers were better, but that's not, that's not the goal of a team sport. So it's finding what worked. And, you know, they started running some pick and roll with, um, at that time, I think it was it was Burke in the rotation. And Simmons, before Joel went out, they had to find ways to do that more. It would be great if maybe sort of the two people around, you know, Ben, Joel, and the ball handler, in this case recently, Neto, would be like elite shooters and not, say, Al Horford, which is, again, part of where there's just that, that one extra component to a lot of what, a lot of the rotations they would throw out there, but you do need to find ways to mix that in there with Joel back. Uh, you need you need both of them to be successful for sure. You do, yeah. And and look, I mean, I think that this year we are going to see the extent of Ben Simmons' abilities. I mean, the past couple playoffs, it's like Ben sort of gets freezed out of the offense. I don't think that's going to happen this year just because they need him so they, desperately. They, they don't Last, have Jimmy Butler to go to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
And with all this sort of stuff, I mean, they, they have to just keep doing exactly what they did during the stretch, like we said, with with the pick and rolls. And um, but I I just wonder, you know, it, it's it's just interesting to think about how the narrative could change in the playoffs, where you know, right now they have this stretch where they beat a bunch of mediocre teams, and everybody's talking about, oh man, they got to trade Embiid. Whereas we might get into uh, the second round of the playoffs and, you know, Embiid might be turning things on and Ben can't do anything about uh, against really good defenses and we're having the exact opposite conversation. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the formula should stay the same, like we said, but I, I'm, I'm curious if this will be able to, uh, to transfer to the same extent in the playoffs. All right, last one, and then we will let you go. Sort of touches on two-man game. We've seen various people used in that role. Trey Burke, you've seen some pick and roll with him and Simmons. Same thing with Howell Neto. A little bit of Shake Milton recently. And then Furkan Korkmaz, his two-man game has been a little more with Joel Embiid recently, which led to a very giddy Rich Hoffman on press row against the Warriors. (laughs) Of those four players, of those four bench pieces, and occasional starters because... There's been so many injuries. Starting lineup still has only played, what, I think 19 times in the 49-game season so far. So we've seen a lot of spot starters. I guess you could call the starting lineup a spot starter. Of those four players we mentioned, who do you believe in the most as a playoff piece? Who? So so this is Korkmaz, Shake, Neto, Neto. Right. Yep. Oof. And by the way, we're talking all this about putting a second ball handler out there with Ben. This team very much believed heading into the season that Josh Richardson was their playoff backup point guard, for sure. Yeah. Look, out of those guys, I I'm most tempted to say Korkmaz, but Korkmaz is is probably the number one guy who, if he gets in a cold shooting stretch, like that's it. Like you yep. can't. It, it is completely untenable, and I could so I could so easily see in a playoff series against Milwaukee, it's game one on the road, and Korkmaz misses his first two threes, and Giannis picks on him on defense, and Brett just yanks him, oh, yeah. and and he's just out. I mean, the that's Jonah it for Bolden him. hook. Exactly. I if if I if I had to bet, I mean, the safest bet is Neto. Just because he he's he does make some wild plays, but he's sure-handed and he is a little less likely to get pushed around on defense than Burke. I think I would be pretty comfortable just like putting him on Eric Bledsoe, and if they want to try and exploit that matchup, I mean, go ahead. Uh, I trust Neto's jump shot. Um, I don't know. I mean, look, it would nothing would make me happier than to say Shake Milton, but I mean. Shake Milton, I think, weighs about 190 pounds soaking wet, and he's 6'5". So uh, I think I'm going to go Neto. It is not an easy decision. It is not an easy, which is part of the concern we have and part of what they have an actual realistic chance. You know, we can talk about the starting lineup and whether or not it all fits, and and specifically whether or not the um, Simmons, Horford, and Bede trio fits. But that is not a, a likely issue they will address this week and and by the way they still have only played 19 games together so i could understand if they want to ride this out especially if there are no great solutions available to them this week i would certainly understand why they would want to ride this out and see how this this lineup performs in the playoffs 
but the the bench is an area they they can address. They have some really ho- relatively good second round good draft picks. They can dangle out there. Uh, they've got a, a just a ton of them. What do they have? They have the Knicks and the who's the other one they have this year? Hawks. The Hawks, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and then they have another one where it's like a best of Atlanta, Brooklyn, someone else. In the future, they have another Knicks one next year. Uh, the Sixers, I think, at one point had the Knicks second round pick four or five years in a row. So they have some where they can trade, upgrade some of these pieces. First draft pick they can trade right now, first round draft pick is 2022, which then if they trade that one, they can't trade one until 2024. So they're a little limited in that that regard. But they do have a bunch of second round picks they can dangle out there. See what they can produce here at the trade deadline and the buyout market, and maybe we will feel a little bit more comfortable about this team. Because right now, I mean, Ennis has been in a two-month-long slump. Mike Scott has been in a slump for most of the season. We're debating whether or not you can rely on Furkan Korkmaz or Shake Milton more, and which backup point guard that they really didn't want to play in the playoffs is most playable come April and May. It is not a, you know, it's sort of like what we said when the season started. Yeah, the bench is upgraded, but let's not confuse it with a, a good playoff bench. And I think we've very much seen that here of late. But I think that is, is a good lead into the rest of the week. Thank you, Mike, for jumping on. And we will be sure to have you back soon. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me.